hey guys, let's go see a movie. Hello everyone and welcome. This is Felix Goes to the Movies. I am Felix. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing The Green Knight. Now, this movie did come out a few weeks ago, but it's been on my mind recently, so it's what I would like to talk about today. Let's get into it. Now, as always, this is going to be a pretty spoiler-heavy review, but I will be giving my sort of first impressions right here at the beginning of the episode. So, with that out of the way, I'm not really going to mince words here, I'll get right into it. Overall impression, I did not really like this movie, so this will probably end up being a more negative review. As we do get into kind of spoilers and discussing this movie a little bit more in depth, I will cover exactly why that is. But as for right now, all I'll say is that this movie has some pretty severe pacing issues, and overall, the movie just really isn't that interesting. Despite the fact that you can tell this movie really, really wants you to think that it is interesting. And that really is all there is to say about this movie in a kind of spoiler-free context. It's just not really a very good movie at the end of the day. But for now, let's get into the actual movie itself. Now, before I get into all of the things in this movie that I did not enjoy, I think it would only be fair for me to kind of start off on a positive note and go over the things in this movie that I did enjoy. And one of those things is the actual design of the Green Knight himself. It is a very cool design, it's very interesting. He is this kind of being made of gnarled wood and twisted up roots and plant matter. He rides in on this giant kind of deer or elk. He is taller and just has kind of a more imposing stature than the rest of the human characters that he interacts with. Overall, it's a good look. I have seen a couple of people making jokes online comparing him to Groot, saying he's kind of Groot's dad. Which is pretty funny, but overall, I do still enjoy the design. Now, the other thing that I did enjoy about this movie was the performance of Dev Patel. And it is hard to kind of even bring that up without getting into the other issues with this movie. Because while Dev Patel is our main character, and it is him who we are following throughout the entirety of this movie's runtime, he is not given very much to do. That being said, when the opportunity does arise for him to do some serious acting, he definitely does pull it off, and he does a very good job with what little material he is given. One of the scenes that immediately comes to mind is a scene relatively close to the beginning of the movie, where he is 
asked by his uncle the king to take a seat right at his side, and the king asks him to tell him the story of his life and explain his great deeds. And you can see that he has no way to answer that. He has no way to respond to the king. He has no great story to tell or great adventure that he's gone on in his life. And yes, Dev Patel does very good in that scene. Of course, the other thing I have to bring up, speaking about Dev Patel, is that if you look up a lot of the reviews for this movie, you're going to see a lot of humorous reviews, um, mainly written by women, explaining how this movie is the best movie ever made, because you just get to see Dev Patel's handsome face on screen for two hours, which is pretty funny. And hey, you know, if that is your bar for the enjoyment of this movie, then more power to you. Because yes, again, his character is who we are following for this entire movie. So if that is the only thing you are looking for in a movie, then yes, this movie has that, and I'm sure you will enjoy it. But if you're looking for literally anything else in a movie, I do not think you are going to find it in The Green Knight, or at the very least, I do not think you will find anything in this movie that has not been done in a better, more interesting way by other movies. But let's get into the actual story now. So what happens in this movie? Well, as you may or may not know, this is a kind of reimagining or a retelling of the story from Arthurian legend Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. My apologies if I mispronounced that. That story and subsequently this movie follows Sir Gawain, a nephew of King Arthur. This movie never expressly states that the king, that this version of Sir Gawain is nephew too is King Arthur, but it is heavily implied. Both in the original story and in this movie, the king is hosting a Christmas celebration, and Sir Gawain, the king's nephew, is invited to attend. While everyone is drinking and eating and enjoying themselves, and just generally being merry, enjoying the spirit of the holiday, a stranger shows up to the celebration, the Green Knight, and he proposes a game to the knights in attendance, stating that he wants to battle them in a duel, and if any of his knights can land a blow on him, they win his axe on the condition that in one year he will get to return that blow onto the knight who struck him. Sir Gawain then accepts the Green Knight's challenge. The Green Knight then drops all of his defenses and leaves himself wide open for a hit. Sir Gawain then, being perhaps too naive or simply too foolish to realize that this is obviously a trap, 
decides to make his move and strike the Green Knight. And he actually decapitates the Green Knight. The Green Knight being this strange kind of woodland spirit, this fae-type creature, then immediately stands up, grabs his head, and essentially says, well, I'll see you next Christmas, because in one year, as per the stipulations of the game, he gets to return the blow he was dealt. So the implication is, of course, that Sir Gawain now has one year to live, because the Green Knight will come for him and chop his head off at the end of that year. And from what I remember, this event, both in the original story and in the movie, are pretty similar. And that is it. That is kind of the inciting incident of both that original legend and this movie. Now, speaking of the original story here, you do not really need to have read that story or be super familiar with it. Again, this is a reimagining, a retelling of that story. So you might pick up on some character names or recognize kind of familiar plot elements popping up in this movie. But overall, you do not need to know anything about the original legend to follow what's going on in this movie. And so after that initial inciting incident, we get kind of a montage with Dev Patel's Sir Gawain kind of dreading the next Christmas. We see that the story of him decapitating the Green Knight has quickly spread around his village and everyone knows him and everyone knows kind of what will be awaiting him at the end of this year. As Christmas draws closer and closer, Sir Gawain is kind of more and more dreading the future to come. He does have a girlfriend in this village, and she is really the only one who is kind of pleading with him to not go and meet the Green Knight, while the rest of the village is kind of like, well, you know, you gotta go, do your duty, be a man, keep your word. And eventually, the time comes, and Sir Gawain decides that, yes, he will leave the village, and so he sets off to go meet his fate. Now, it is at this point that the kind of main portion of the movie begins. And with that, so to begin the myriad of problems with this movie. Up until this point, I was still pretty interested. I thought we might be building towards something really intriguing. Sadly, I was mistaken. You see, the majority of this movie's runtime is taken up by really what equates to nothing more than a very long walk.
And while there are a few things that happen along that walk, and there are a couple kind of rather strange events that take place along this walk, at the end of the day, those things are not enough to distract from the fact that this is really just a very slow movie. And there are just vast stretches of time where nothing particularly interesting is happening. And of course, this is the point where professional film critics and fans of this movie, and particularly fans of the studio that distributed this movie, A24, will be getting into them in just a little bit. This is where those people will say something along the lines of, well, you just don't understand. This kind of very slow, drawn-out pacing is very intentional, it's done with purpose, because this kind of long walk isn't meant to just be a journey from point A to point B. You, as the audience, are meant to kind of be with the character on this voyage and use this time in the same way that the character is using this time as kind of a meditation and reflection on things like duty and honor and responsibility, honoring your word, being brave enough to face the consequences of your mistakes, and look, whether or not you kind of buy into that line of reasoning or not, it does not change the fact that the movie itself just is boring, and there is not a lot going on, either narratively or on screen. You see, along his journey, Sir Gawain does have a run-in with multiple different characters, but those characters and his interactions with those characters just simply do not correlate with him or his larger mission or really the overall narrative of the story at all. Which is really kind of frustrating in a way because you can see the sort of glimmer of potential all throughout this movie. There are a lot of things in this movie that could have made it just so much more enjoyable and interesting and really, at the end of the day, much more memorable than it ends up being. And that really is another point where this movie kind of loses a lot of points with me. You see, there is no real reason why this character, the main character of this movie, had to be Sir Gawain, and why his antagonist had to be the Green Knight. If you wanted to make this kind of long, slow, methodical movie about a man writing to certain death to meet the consequences of his mistakes, you could very easily set that just in regular medieval England. But by incorporating these elements 
from Arthurian legend, the movie kind of shoots itself in the foot, basically. Because it uses elements from those legends to kind of flesh out the world that these characters live in. And what you end up with is a story where the world the characters live in and the sort of details that exist on the edge of the world are far more interesting than the actual story you're trying to tell. There are a lot of things in this movie that, had they been fleshed out a bit more, probably would have made this whole experience a bit more enjoyable. I mean, in this movie, we see that Sir Gawain's mother is involved in some sort of strange witchcraft. We know that there is some kind of war or conflict going on in the background. We get visions of giants that may or may not be real. And then, of course, we get beings like the Green Knight, who is a strange woodland spirit. And when he shows up at the beginning of the movie to propose that Christmas game, everyone is a little surprised, but not completely shocked. You know, it seems like in this world, things like this are unusual, but not completely uncommon. And again, these are all things that are interesting and are engaging, but we don't spend any time with them. They simply pop up and then fade away because those things are not what this movie is about. This movie, as we've established, is about a sad man on a very long walk. So you end up kind of wasting the more interesting fantasy world you've built to tell your story in. So, what happens to Sir Gawain at the end of his long walk? Well, after his trials and tribulations, he does end up making it to the Green Knight. I believe he makes it there on Christmas Eve, and the Green Knight is sleeping. So Sir Gawain simply waits there at his feet until the Green Knight awakens on Christmas Day. The Green Knight awakens. He sees that Sir Gawain is there, asks him what day it is. Sir Gawain tells him that it is in fact Christmas. The Green Knight smiles and is happy that Sir Gawain has remained true to his word and come to accept his fate. Sir Gawain is understandably very nervous about this, but he does decide that he will face the consequences of his mistakes. So he kneels down and exposes his neck, and he is ready for the Green Knight to return that fatal blow that he delivered just a year ago. And it is at this point that you see Sir Gawain kind of looking down at a green sash that he has tied around his waist. This is a gift his mother gave him before he set out on his journey, basically telling him that as long as he wore this, no harm would come to him. So you see that he is basically hoping and praying that what his mother said is true, and that even if the Greed Knight does bring that axe down on his neck, he will survive. The Green Knight readies his axe, and you see that even though Sir Gawain is kind of 
holding on to that green sash, he cannot bring himself to face the Green Knight. He cannot remain true to his word. He's just too scared, and he doesn't want to die. So he stands up and leaves and just runs out of sort of the Green Knight's lair. And it is at this point we get another incident of very poor pacing. But the movie decides to flip it around on you, and now, instead of everything being far too slow, this scene goes by far too quickly. Because over the course of just the next few minutes, we see the entirety of the rest of Sir Gawain's life play out. We see him arriving back home in his village. Everyone assumes that he must have bested the Green Knight because he has returned and he still has his head. We see that the king dies shortly after Gawain's return, and Gawain is subsequently made king. We see that he basically abandons his girlfriend in the village, who is pregnant with his child, so he essentially kidnaps the baby from the mother and raises it in the castle with him. He goes on to marry someone else, presumably a kind of royal from a neighboring country. We see his sons grow up and his country fall into war. We see his son die in a battle. And then, ultimately, we see a much older Sir Gawain sitting on his throne as the castle is under attack. We can see that some kind of enemy force has made their way to the castle gates, and they are about to break in. Sir Gawain, who, up until this very moment throughout his entire life, has kept that green sash around his waist, unties it and removes it, just as the enemy forces burst into the room. And we see, just as the doors break open, Sir Gawain's head falls from his shoulders. The implication, of course, being that the Green Knight came to collect his debt. And it is at this point that the movie fully squanders any potential it had left. Because we cut immediately from that scene back to the present day. A young Sir Gawain on his knees before the Green Knight. And we see that that whole sequence of events was this kind of vision or dream sequence of Sir Gawain either seeing the future or, at the very least, contemplating what his future would be like if he did run away, if he did not face the Green Knight here today. And ultimately, he decides that that life is not the life he wants. So he removes the green sash, you know, his protection from his waist, and tells the Green Knight he is now ready for the Green Knight to return that blow with his axe. The Green Knight accepts, and that is where the movie ends. As I've said, it's not great. And what they really, really, really should have done simply ended after the kind of dream sequence scene. If the movie had ended 
right after the dream sequence. And that would have been much better, because we would see that Sir Gawain was not a man of his word. He did not face the Green Knight. And then he went back and accepted the crown, even though he knew he was not a worthy king, and then led his kingdom to ruin because of that. And had we ended kind of at that moment of his death, that would have made much more of an impact than tacking on that final scene where we cut back to him and he's still young and he changes his mind and decides, no, I will face the Green Knight. And that is because one of this movie's kind of central questions is really muddied by adding that scene on. Allow me to explain. One of the questions this movie seems to want to ask is, what if Sir Gawain, this brave, noble knight from Arthurian legend, wasn't actually this kind of chivalrous champion who was strong and smart and clever and brave? What if he was just a regular guy? And what if he was a regular guy who, at the end of the day, wasn't really that great? What would this world look like with someone like that in charge? And ending the movie after the dream sequence lends much more kind of weight to that idea and to that question. Adding this kind of extra scene on doesn't really do anything. And it is at this point where we once again have to talk about those professional film critics and fans of this movie and of A24's movies in general. And they will say things like, well, the ending is actually perfect because it doesn't answer that question because it's not trying to. It's just trying to make you think about those questions. It's wanting you to fill in your own answers. The ending and, in many ways, the entire movie are open to interpretation. And that really is kind of the worst take that people have on not only this movie, but again, a lot of A24's movies. You see, A24 itself, as a movie studio, does not create its own movies. Rather, it kind of picks up films on the independent circuit from film festivals and acquires the distribution rights to them to then show them to the masses. And fans of A24 like to pretend that A24 is kind of the pinnacle of thoughtful, artistic movie making, and that its films are unique and complex and sort of go above and beyond the average sort of popcorn blockbuster you might see elsewhere. This is, of course, completely untrue. A24 is, at the end of the day, a studio with a brand. And just as you can say, well, the Marvel movies all have this, this, and this, you know, bright colors, quips, or you can say that, oh, all modern action movies kind of have the same little checklist 
that they go through trying to make themselves more like the John Wick movies, you can absolutely go through all of A24's movies to find their brand, the cliches, the things that they want in their movies, the various things that their movies have in common. And The Greed Knight does fit snugly into that sort of A24 box. It has that slow, deliberate pacing. It has the one talented actor putting in a very good performance. It has the same kind of camera work you're probably familiar with if you've seen other A24 movies. It has that scene where the camera zooms in and everything kind of flips upside down for a moment. It's in Midsommar. I believe it's in Hereditary. It's in this movie. And ultimately, it has this kind of ambiguous, open-for-interpretation type ending. And that is what bothers me about a lot of A24's movies, but particularly this movie, is people say, ah, the ending is open for interpretation. Well, no, it's not. You see, there is a very big difference between saying something that is open to interpretation and saying nothing and telling an audience to find an interpretation. And A24 loves to do the latter while pretending they're doing the former. It is just genuinely frustrating. But with that, I do think it is time to wrap up today's episode. So... Until next time, this has been Felix Goes to the Movies. I have been Felix. Thank you for listening. Now, off with your head.